Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. I, I think we keep talking about millennials because they have the stereotype and they don't want to let go of it. So then they say they don't want to hire them. There's good millennials, there's bad millennials, there's good boomers, there's bad boomers, there's good Gen X, there's bad Gen X. It's a value added process in, in that you're showing your employees, first of all, that you respect them and that you trust them to come up with a reasonable solution to the problem. And second of all, once a problem is solved and everybody's okay with it, it makes the whole group feel better. Like they participated in making the environment, the business better. Whether they, they consciously like think about that or not, they are gonna come away feeling better. Yeah, I think that they're looking for fulfillment so that everybody feels like they're making a difference or has an input. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Today, we've got Kelly Shelton from the shop. Um, we're supposed to have a couple other people. Uh, hopefully they'll join in. We also have Kurt Cruz, who's uh, our web developer here at the Institute. And he has some insight on this topic and would love to talk about it. I know that we discussed this type of stuff in length and uh, I thought that he had a great point of view on this and I wanted to bring him into the conversation. Uh, the first question that you guys have on here and, and, and the reason why we keep talking about millennials or keep bringing up this, this this topic, especially in the show, is because we've 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 had a lot of inquiries from the people that we work with, either through our Facebook group or through our clients. Um, and I see this still as a prevalent topic to be discussed. So now we're going to be talking about how we attract them into the work environment uh, in our shops or in the industry. And my first question: um, Is there actually a problem with retaining and attracting millennials? Uh, or does this just happen to be a symptom of something else? Any any one of you guys can take that. Let's let's kick the discussion off. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that that this is a it's part of a broader issue, which is like an industry wide thing of attracting you know new people in like into the industry. And I don't even think that it's specifically a millennial thing. I think that it's just it's sort of the automotive repair industry has been framed in almost a negative way that. That, that it isn't really schools aren't pushing people to go in that direction. And so, you know, there's just not a lot of people getting sort of trade educations anymore. And, but, you know, I, I know that that's kind of how I was pushed coming out of high school. It's like college was the only way. And um, or was your question more about people that are in the industry and how to attract them? Uh, the question, I, I don't know. That's, that's, I think, an interesting perspective to take. We think about what what they're getting trained on. What what's the expectation that they're being, you know, set up for, and and maybe that's the disconnect they're experiencing when they come into the industry, if they come into the industry at all. Well, right. Yeah, I, mean, I firmly believe that you know there's a, a perception that if you come into this industry in one point of another, going out of school, that you're you're not going to make money doing it. And so it just doesn't attract a lot of people going down that, that tech school road. I mean, I, my guidance counselors in school told me that, you know, it was a, a dead end and I had to go to college and get a job with a, with a degree. And I don't know, I don't think that racking up a bunch of debt is necessarily the best solution to problems, but you know, 
I'm starting to see that more and more. I've got friends who, who went to college and friends who didn't go to college. The ones who went to college absolutely regret, you know, most of them that I talked to, they regret it just because of the amount of debt that they accrued doing that and then stepping into an oversaturated market and can't find a job, you know? Yeah. Seth, what do you think? Um, and, and, yeah. and good to have you. <laughs> yeah. Running a little later. Uh, uh, millennials. Yeah. I mean, we, my entire workforce at both my locations, I think I'm at 18 employees now. Um, they're all millennials. I don't, I, uh, I have only one employee over 35 in the whole organization. So I have a really young workforce. Um, they, they do, you do have to treat them different. There are different things, different idiosyncrasies you deal with, with, but as a whole, our, our management system is good at dealing with it. Um, the two we just hired, you know, um, I see on, on Kurt's board back there, he has an LMS written on his board there. It's fine on his whiteboard, but uh, we run an LMS and we run our two new two newest employees straight through our LMS. And and the new millennial workforce really seems to like that because they can get retrained. They can go back to the LMS whenever they want. They're much more comfortable being in front of technology. So, I mean, that's been a huge key to us is, is retraining through our LMS for, for a lot of our millennial workforce. Yeah, you know, that, that's interesting you bring that up because um, I, I had a really interesting experience over Thanksgiving. Um, I have daughters that, that are ranged from being born in like 92 uh, and my last youngest daughter was born in 2000. And, and my youngest brought home a bunch of friends and there was about a half dozen. And, and I was thinking about this for a long time. and. Um, a kid told me a story about uh, being a, a line cook. He really wants to be a chef. And so he's going to culinary arts school and he had quit three jobs just up and walked off the job. And, and of course my, my first reaction being, you know, I'm a child of the eighties was geez, man, what's wrong with you kind of a thing. And, and Seth, I think you probably hit on it is that, that you're trying to create an environment where these guys feel comfortable and to me, um, after hearing his story, um, I cha- totally changed my perspective. Um, you know, this kid was going and he was being uh, uh, hazed and berated. And, and when he'd make a mistake, his boss would just uh, come unglued on him and swear at him and dress him down right there in front of all of his, uh, you know, co-workers. And that wasn't okay with him. And so. Um, he just would walk off the job and quit. So is this, sounds yeah, like bad leadership. To me, it's, it's about creating an environment where they feel okay and comfortable with, with you know, what they're doing. Through technology, through difference of management styles. Um, Jeff, you said that you do this training through an LMS. What, kind, what is your management styling? What, what does your management style look like? With well, with your team and, and so, how does that how does that differ? Yeah, I mean, I, I my structure is probably set up a lot different than repair shops. I have a what we call team leaders, and we have our our floor leader, which is our shop foreman, and our front office store manager. Um, and those team leaders, we meet. In fact, we have a meeting today, so we meet once a month with our leadership team to go over issues, and then that gets downward to the rest of our staff. We also have morning huddle, five-minute morning meetings that my staff really loves. That's led by the store manager. A lot of this, the only thing I'm involved in is generally my one-to-one with my district manager and the and the team leadership meetings. 
but my staff holds all sorts of mini micro meetings to get everybody on the same page. They work with them. We don't even do yearly reviews. We've gone to a catalytic coaching process where, you know, when we review employees, especially the millennial workforce. So we have one day where they spit out anything they want. The manager, whoever is doing their coaching is not allowed to say anything and the employee can say whatever they want. And the manager has to sit there and take it. Then we have a day cool down and then the manager gets to talk to the employee about all the things that they see based on some of the feedback they heard. And then we have another day cooling down period. And then we do a come together coaching session of, okay, here's your goals. Here's our company goals. Here's how we align them. And then we hold the employee accountable for those goals set up as a working combined unit. Um, that's been very powerful. And, and we do a lot of uh, Simon Sinek's of, you know, why, and, and we explain a lot of why's. The, the, the young millennials, you can't tell them just do it because I'm the boss. That doesn't work. So we, we sell a lot of why we do things from every process. Um, in fact, a big thing of our onboarding on our LMS, if I pulled my LMS up, you would see that the very first thing is welcome to Eurotech. And there's a whole bunch of why we do the things we do. You don't do anything in our company until you're indoctrinated, if you will, to all the whys of, of why we do things. In, in my experience as a millennial um, and kind of coming up to this kind of, you know, you have conflicts when, when you have this miscommunication between generations. And to me, I didn't understand it. And, and I honestly, I talked with my dad. I've talked with Kurt about this, about being raised a certain way. I saw, I got to see a lot of uh, behavior from my dad working, even my older brother working with businesses in the cultures that they worked in. And it was almost kind of like a, Hey, you know, I have to deal with this, but you, you know, you, you're, you're worth it. You don't deserve to be treated that way. Same with going through school and, and such. And I think that was kind of the whole uh, generational thing as parents were protecting their kids to the extent of, you know, attacking teachers and stuff. And that that's, it's this whole shift in perspective. Uh, my question is, do you, do you think that, um, what are, what are the expectations that millennials are coming into this industry with? And what do you think, what expectations do you think that we're missing the mark on? I mean, I think, I think they're expecting a, a fair work environment, you know, to be treated reasonably. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that they're looking for fulfillment. And that's a, that's a big part of it. So like Seth said, sort of involving, like having a team environment and, and, being able to get everybody on the same page with the why and getting that buy-in um, so that everybody feels like they're making a difference or has an input. I think that that's like, that's a, you know, that's a big deal because they can influence a change versus um, just being commanded to, to do something. And that, that was my experience too. And in, in, you know, this weekend that I spent with these kids was, was, um, you know, they, they don't want to be treated special. They don't want to have anybody go out of their way. They just want to be treated like human beings. They, they want to feel valuable and they want to learn their, their profession and their craft so that they can be the best they can be. It's basically what everybody wants. Um, I think some of the limitations, though, that I've noticed, and again, I, I, I hesitate because I think I might be generalizing, but within a lot of these kids, um, there, there are certain things like like a prevalence of social phobia 
You know, they're not good at one-on-one face-to-face conversations. And that was the reason why this kid wouldn't talk to anybody. He just up and walked off the job because he didn't know how to express what was going on. Well, and I, I I think that you're, that you're right. Like being treated fairly is something that everybody wants, but you know, my, my, my dad, who was a little bit older, um, he, he had that mentality that's just suck it up and, you know, get your paycheck, do your job. And, you know, I think I, I kind of have that attitude sometimes, but it doesn't, I, I definitely know for myself that I don't operate the most efficiently in those circumstances. Like if, if I feel like I'm empowered to do something and I'm motivated, um, then, and I don't, you know, I don't need somebody to motivate me, but just the, the situation that, that I'm in can be motivating. And I think creating that is what drives me um, and drives most, a lot of millennials to try to, to do more. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, the message that these kids were sending to me was, um, I, I love what I do and I want to learn and, and be better. I just don't want to feel like crap every day when I go home because my coworkers or my boss just, you know, completely lost it on me because I made a mistake. So yeah, I, I agree. I think just creating a, a good place to work, um, you know, and holding them accountable, they'll be fine. What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. Well, I mean, that's why I think the the leadership, like how your your the top of your business is set up, is is so important. Um, I know there's a statistic I, I learned in one of Cecil's classes, but it was something like 85 or 86 percent of of all managers are are horrible leaders or something like that. And I mean, I. You know, I think that that that, that really matters. Like some people will hang on because they need a job, but that's not you know that, that doesn't benefit your culture or benefit your business. You know, I I want to get the most productivity out of each person that I can, and if they are motivated and empowered to do it um, without being commanded or pushed, um, but deciding that on their own, then you, you get way better results and more impressive work. Do you guys believe that we're going to have the industry is going to have an issue uh, adjusting to meet some of these expectations? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I well, think I mean, right. company and shop culture um, is going to have to adjust a little bit. But I also think that these uh, millennials and the Gen Z kids who are, you know, in their 20s and, and whatever, they're going to have to adjust a little bit too and realize that, hey, I mean, you know, the old guy running the shop might say some stuff that might sound offensive, but, you know, let's just kind of let it roll off and, and, and do your job kind of thing. I think there's a give and take there. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, like I've been surrounded by a lot of, of incredible mentors and trainers uh, in this industry. And I, it's, I've never once ever thought, oh, I'm not going to listen to this guy because he's being a jerk. It's always been 
I wish I could learn more from them. Uh, I wish that I had more of an opportunity to, to, to gain whatever knowledge they have. I knew they were experts, but at the same time, I didn't want to compromise that or I didn't want, I, I didn't want to have that and compromise my own self-worth in the process. Well, but see, I don't think that that's a mentality that every like millennial shares. And I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but you know, I've definitely uh, managed or not managed, um, been in a role above people who it's, it's like once, once they get triggered, you know, something rubs them the wrong way, then, then whoever's talking is irrelevant to them, you know? And so I think that, you know, I'm not saying that you should, that you should tiptoe around everybody, but I think if you are fair to people and you're reasonable and you don't cross the lines to begin with, and that's just part of your dialogue and how you communicate with people, then, you know, then you aren't going to step on any toes and you're not going to offend anybody. Like I've, I've realized, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've, I've worked with a lot of, with a lot of people and I don't, I don't think many of them I could say are just sensitive. Like if I looked at what they got upset about, then I could say that was offensive and, you know, I could see why that would be offensive to him. Um, so, you know, you just need to not say stuff like that. And, I don't know. I, I, I believe in mutual respect. I've, I've had dozens of conversations with people, <clears throat> millennials, about this, you know, either circumstances that they were uncomfortable with, um, issues that they that 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 um, they arose with work environments, stuff like that. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them, it was very much these were my feelings. And I felt like nobody appreciated these feelings. And but you don't have to deal with these feelings because you don't, you don't know what my feelings are like. You don't know what my experience is like as, and, and almost takes away that other person's right to have their feelings. It's almost too far on one end to say, look, I've got my feelings. I don't care about anybody else's feelings because you don't understand mine. And you can have the millennial version of that or the very sensitive, I I'm, I'm going to get triggered every single time I do it. And then you've got, the the boomer side of it, which is a I don't care, I don't want to hear it. And it's I, I feel like it's this it's very similar in origin. But I could be off off rocker here. I don't know. You know, I, I really admire what Scott was talking about in how he handles uh conflict resolution and the differences of of things that are going on between managers and, and his people. Um, I think that when you when you put people in an accountability role and have them say what's going on and then give them time to cool off and think about it and then come back again to resolve the issue. Um, it, it's not only a learning process, but it's the most effective way to make sure that your work environment is productive and everybody's good with whatever solution you come up with. Do you think it's too much of a compromise on the owner's side to engage in, in that kind of management? No, I mean, I think that it has to be, you know, that it has to be done within, within limits. I mean, everybody has, like, everybody should have a voice and have, like, have an input. Um, but you, you can still manage that conversation. You know, it's, it shouldn't just be a free for all, you know, like, if you're, if you're trying to solve a problem or solve a conflict or whatever, then you kind of, you can create the rules for that discussion before you go into it, but then give them the flexibility to talk about it and make a decision, but it's still playing by you know, playing your game, you know, like at the end of whatever they come up with, 
if you frame it right, is a solution that you're happy with because ultimately you're getting a solution for the problem that you want to solve and they're coming up with it. So they're, you know. Generally, generally you get a solution that they own. Exactly. But I'm saying it's your problem that they're solving. And if they agree that it's a problem, then, you know, then, yeah, you're getting a solution that they're going to take responsibility for and they're going to you know, stick with it. But I don't think that that's really giving up anything as a, as a business owner. I think that's just how you solve problems. Actually, um, it's a value added process in, in that um, you're showing your employees, first of all, that you respect them and that you trust them to come up with a reasonable solution to the problem. And second of all, once a problem is solved and everybody's okay with it, it makes the whole group feel better. Like they participated in making the environment, the business better, whether they, they consciously like think about that or not, they are going to come away feeling better. Nobody, like, nobody likes an annual review. It's usually you did this, you did this, you did, oh, here's, here's a, here's 10 cents. So yeah. we do ongoing coaching throughout the year um, with our millennials. So it, it's been a, it's been a change. And then when there's a definite issue that needs to be addressed right away, we have a scope of work contract that's the next level of write-up, but we we've gone away from a lot of the formal write-ups and the formal dressing. Now, if my manager sees a problem, then they're going to pull them into a coaching session and work the progress. And, and that's really kind of helped give people that they feel they have a say. So I have a question, Kent, maybe we can throw this out. Um, I'm impressed with Scott's model of management. Um, so Seth, my question Seth. Or Seth, I'm sorry. I keep calling you. I've been called worse. So don't worry about it. Sorry, Seth. Um, how common is that in shops? How common is it to have a, a, a you know, management, a, a coaching style and, and a conflict resolution uh, thing like that? Is, is it um, common or very uncommon? Well, I, I don't know if I can speak for other shops. I mean, we're, we only have five people here, including myself. So we're a smaller production than what Seth's got. Um, but I mean, we, we do the same thing with ongoing, you know, ongoing coaching and, and conflict resolution. We, you know, we do, we do weekly meetings as, as a team where we try to, you know, bring all of our, our problems to the table and, and address them, at least the things that can wait to talk about in a formal setting. But, you know, if not, then yeah, we're, you know, meeting with people all, all the time to, to talk through little issues and, you know, personal stuff. We still do you know, we still do an annual review, but that's, that's, that's kind of, that's part of uh, like how they perceive that they're doing in their job and how they perceive that I'm doing in my job. Cause I'm, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for, for feedback on, on myself because I, I want to know how, how everybody's viewing me or what I can do to improve. And I think giving that private forum allows, allows them to improve our, our management without, you know, making them feel like they're shitting on the owner. Sorry, talking crap. It seems like there's a lot of time spent on these meetings and a lot of time having these, these small conversations, bringing problems up to the forefront um, and a lot of discussions. Do you guys think that it wastes too much time having these conversations? Are you guys spending too much time in these meetings rather than actually producing Ours are, I mean, ours are, ours are pretty rigid to some degree. So we have our, you know, our manager meeting tonight. 
the agenda went out yesterday. Any any topics for the agenda were submitted that they wanted changed yesterday. The final agenda went out today, and you know it. Every meeting we generally have, if it ends at seven fifteen, it ends at seven fifteen. We cut conversations, and if it needs to carry, then that conversation carries to next month's agenda, um, or gets rescheduled to something. But we stick to our agenda. So if I tell my my leadership staff that our meeting is from five thirty to six forty five, then they are in their seats on the meeting floor, phones off at five thirty, and we have our meeting, and we hit you know, the topics of discussion. And, you know, if I have to move a topic, then we move a topic, but we, we stick heavily to agendas. We stick heavily to agendas with our five minute morning meetings. Um, we respect people's time, our quarterly company meeting, you know, we shut down a little bit early starts on time and finishes on time. I mean, that's, you know, people hate meetings if they run late or don't accomplish things. So our meetings are meant to accomplish goals and, and that keeps people interested. Um, and, and the techs, you know, in our company, technicians generally feel like they don't have a voice. It's generally only the front office. So the fact that we have two shop foremen from each shop in the meetings, the techs feel like they have a seat at the table, if you will. And that's their liaison back and forth. Um, and the other big thing I've seen with millennials here is they need a career path. We, as an industry, do a very poor job about giving them a career path. We hire a tech and we don't give him anything other than you get to be a tech or how do you do the next thing? So I'll give an example in my company, we have a, a career path for technicians, right? You go, you get hired in generally our trainee techs or apprentice, you're, you know, and that's going to be our millennial workforce. So <laughs> once you hit certain guidelines, you get moved up from apprentice and then so on and so forth. There's two years of the apprenticeship guidelines you get moved through. So you go from a C tech to a B tech to an A tech once you get to be an A tech, then once you hit certain criteria, you move you to a training tech, which means then you're responsible for another apprentice. Once you prove that you can be a good training tech, then you're in position to be a shop foreman at one of the new shops that we open or an existing shop that has an opening. Once you prove to get to that point, then you get to be a foreman. And that's how you end up on the leadership team. So we really mentor and train these people and give them a career path to get to where they want to be and they can see that path. And I think that that's, I think that that's huge. And that's something that I w am obviously working towards. I have one location, we have a small team. And so I feel like I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because I don't have that, like what's next, what's that like next step, you know, like I'll have a loyal tech or advisor talk to me and like, Hey, what, you know, like what's next, like what's past this besides just making more money, doing the same job. Well, you know, obviously, once we hit these targets, then we can talk about opening up another location and then, you know, could potentially manage a location or, you know, grow this one. But that's all that's all hypothetical because it's not actually in place. And I think that that's a downside for me with attracting um, other people that maybe you don't have. Because um, I recently lost a recruit to to Tesla because he did have that career path um, going forward, you know, and. He told me, you know, our culture is great and our benefits are great and the pay structure is great and everything's awesome. But, you know, if he works for Tesla five years from now, he could potentially not be a tech anymore and be a regional tech specialist making a good salary, not working on cars. And, you know, I think everybody wants to have that growth potential. My, my next question was going to be, uh, do you guys think that the tech schools are high schools and 
and all this, they're setting up an expectation that's unmet when they hit the workforce. It's making them seek out dealerships or manufacturers as a more viable option than in an independent shop. And what do you guys think we can do to change that? That's your job as shop owners. I mean, I go to the colleges, I go to the, I go to the career fairs. I, I actually lobby the teachers to have the students come do walkthroughs and tours of my shop. You know, that's, that's you guys' job as, as shop owners, right? I mean, that's, that's getting out of your business and working on it. And, and, and a lot of my time is spent going to shop, you know, going to high schools and colleges. And, you know, we started a, pathway to trades at our local high school. So I have a guidance counselors that I meet with once a month and we go over what career that they can get into the trades. And so we do a lot of that stuff. And the more that, the more that guidance counselors and teachers see what independent shops have, the more they're going to help push students to both options, but that's on you guys. For a long time that, I mean, going my education through grade school and high school and all of that, was always geared towards you need to go to college. Same with my how I was raised with my parents. You need to go to college, otherwise you're you're going to be SOL. And uh, I think that's wonderful. You're going in and you're talking with the schools. You're showing them that obviously this is a viable option. Not only is it a viable option, but it's it's a really successful and and happy outcome that you can pr- pursue. That that is an alternative to you know uh, higher education and college. I love that. Yeah, we work with our um, our county's technical program to to an extent. The same tech school I went through in high school, and they have uh, this internship program for seniors in high school who are like second year. Where where and we we are a part of this program, but we don't always have somebody in this role. We can essentially um, for half of their school time have them as a intern, and then they will work for us through the school year or whatever, and we can choose to to hire them as employees, but it's, it's a very hands-on type of, of training experience in the workforce. And so we worked with a couple of those tech students and allowed a lot from the program to just come shadow for a day and you know, talk to them about um, what kind of options are, are out there. Cause I, I think, yeah, I, I went through this internship program and worked for a dealership. And then I ended up going to college after that because I was discouraged from the time I spent at the, at the dealership and it sort of turned me off to the industry because I was around 40 year old techs who were like run for the Hills. This is a waste of time. You know, you're going to be 40 and broken and you're going to hate everything. And it wasn't until I was 22 or 20, I guess 20, yeah, 23 that I, I, I missed it because I got into the industry in the first place because I was passionate about it. And then I was just deterred from it because I felt like it was a dead end, but I decided I'd, didn't care. And I was going to do whatever I could to do what I enjoy and make it not a dead end. And I think giving that to millennials is, is important. And so even though independent shops, I think we're better at it than a lot of dealerships because they do sort of provide a dead end road. Um, not to talk crap on dealerships, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, that, that does make it an industry wide thing, you know? I'm going to take a moment here um, just to do our, our quick commercial break for the Institute. Um, the, the Institute's been making a huge effort to change up the way we do things. So 2020 is going to be an interesting year. I can tell you that we've got a new facility that we're working on. I'm actually in a construction zone right now, but it's going to be prepped and ready for our 
first conference that we're uh, hosting here. It's called the Mars Conference. That's Marketing for Auto Repair Shops. It's going to be on January 18th and 19th. You guys can look at more information on that at mars.theautomotiveinstitute.com. We brought in a lot of people from different aspects of the marketing industry to come and speak and teach so that we can kind of give shop owners a full breadth of information uh, to help their help market their shops and get in, you know, raise their, their car count, raise the quality of customers that they're bringing in uh, and kind of relieve some of the stress and confusion that comes in with marketing. Um, I also want to talk about our advisor mastery program. Uh, we're going to be kicking up a new group in May in 2020. And you guys can find more information on that at advisormastery.theautomotiveinstitute.com. Um, I want to get back into this conversation. What, why do you guys believe we end up talking about millennials so much? I mean, it was kind of a conversation that me and Kelly had before the, the show started, but it seems like we, we get a lot of questions about millennials. And the more we talk about them, the more it seems like we've kind of resolved this point. Why, why do you guys believe that we keep bringing up millennials? Um, well, I think, you know, a lot of the older generations are getting out of the industry. I mean, there's, there's, it's proven that there's more people retiring from the automotive industry year over year than there are people joining it. And it's like the, the biggest group right now, we know the younger generations aren't coming into the industry at a high rate. So I feel like kind of the, the target right now are the, the, the people that you want are the millennial group, you know, the guys that are in their mid twenties to mid thirties. And they're, they're there, but they're, you know, they're uh, highly sought after and you, you know, you kind of have to, to, to fight for them. So if your business isn't set up to, to attract a person like that, then, you know, you're not going to get them, but that's, you know, that's who you want right now. You know, I was thinking about the same thing as well. Um, I think that, that uh, if I was to counsel anybody, uh, who didn't feel like they wanted to go to college. I think one of the best kept secrets is getting a trade, working in the automotive industry, or, you know, like the kid I was talking about, uh, becoming a chef, doing something that you love. Um, it's not only something you love, but one of the best kept secrets is you can actually make a pretty good living at it too. If you stick with it and, and you master your craft. So, yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't, understand why more kids won't go into it other than it's just got a bad rap and we need to change that. Exactly. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame. They can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to iframe.com and register now. We'll see you in class. What do you think, Seth? I, you know, I, I, I think we keep talking about millennials because it, it, people have the stereotype and they don't want to let go of it. So then they say they don't want to hire them. Um, I, there's good millennials. There's bad millennials. There's good boomers. There's bad boomers. There's good Gen X. There's bad Gen X. 
Um, I, I think the conversation keeps coming up because we generalized it and we don't, you know, when the boomers came in the workforce, they hated the the generation before them. It's, it's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. And I, you know, I think you're going to keep having the conversations until some of these people either get out of the industry or, or adapt to it. But I think, I don't think that conversation is going to go away. Is it a, is it a do or die situation? adapt or die they either they either figure out how to live with them or they they're going to end up being forced out they can sell to me i'll buy them <laughs> i love that i honestly uh, I've think, actually, oh sorry go ahead you're good i honestly think that that now is the time for for uh millennials and the gen z kids to swoop in here and take advantage of the fact that if there aren't enough good qualified techs because if you develop your skills, if you work hard, uh, a good shop will pay you whatever you need to feel comfortable because they need I think, people. I think that's the difference there. It's a good shop, right? There's a lot of shops out there that are not attracting millennials because they're not set up that way. They, they don't have the practices that Seth has or, or that Kelly has in their shop. They don't manage them properly. They don't incentivize them properly. They don't give them a career path to choose from. And it's all in like Seth, you were talking about, it's based on this kind of misconception about millennials. Oh, they're, they're sensitive. They're selfish. They're lazy. They're entitled. Um, and the more and more we talk about it, the more uh, things that we put in place to help manage, to help attract millennials, to help, you know, ensure their success almost so, so just a conversation, these millennial tactics, these millennial strategies on managing millennials and all that, they don't, to me, they don't necessarily seem like it's a millennial thing. It just seems like a business thing. <laughs> it's just a better way to run a business, period. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the millennial generation. Um, and I think that, that just because they're new, I think the focus is on the wrong thing. It's, it shouldn't be on millennials. It should be on the new business practices that we are experiencing and what's a better option for the business itself, not necessarily, you know, oh, these millennials having to communicate with boomers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I just wanted to kind of get that out there. No, I agree. I mean, and that's the point I was touching on before this even that this this even started. Like, it it's not a, you know, it is more of a of a business thing. Like, what are you what are you doing for you know for your people in general. And I think you obviously, if you have, if, if you have run the right practices and you're doing the right things, then you'll, I mean, you'll attract quality boomers too. Cause they'll, you know, they'll be like, well, that's, it's great. I've never been in an environment that, that did that. Oh, eight to five, uh, no weekends. Oh, uh, you know, good pay benefits. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, it's just a buzzword. It's like, Oh yeah, it's the millennials. We got to talk about, they're the issue. They're the ones let's pass the blame on them. And uh, then people want to talk about that when it's really, it's like, well, we just need better business practices. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, there's um, one of the, a company that's here headquartered in Richmond where I'm from um, that I think does it really well is, is capital one. Um, it, I don't know. You guys have capital one bank out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, I mean, they're, they're, they have this massive complex and they have just made it a, a very attractive place to work and everything that they've done. It's not necessarily about pay or, or, 
or whatever. It's just, it's like the culture and, and the benefits and, you know, they have a smoothie bar, you know, and there's all these things. When I have a friend that gets a job there, he's like, Oh, you know, they got a gym you can use for free. And there's a, there's a coffee shop right next to my desk and all these, all these cool things that they find really interesting. And, and they, you know, they care about what they're kind of the, the atmosphere and the culture that they're provided with, and they have an entry level position. So, you know, um, but I, I just hear people talk about how they want to go work for Capital One because it's just a cool place to work. And, you know, I think that that's a good model to try to follow. You know, I know that they don't keep people until retirement. I know they have a high turnover rate and they, you know, they, that they just have such a revolving door of employees that from that aspect, I don't think it is a good place to work, but you know, their, the facade just overshadows. At At least it originally attracts them. So maybe they're missing one of the core things. Well, I think you that know. they just have so many attracted people that they could just hire whoever they want, you know, and <laughs> you know, somebody, it doesn't perform and they're like, oh, well, the next one. I, I always get reminded and maybe it's just because I'm in a, uh, I work in a business consultancy, so I'm, I'm around a lot of this stuff all the time, but uh, that, that one statistic of, of people on their deathbed, uh, and I know a lot of my friends know this statistic too, the, the biggest thing that people regret on their deathbed is the things that they didn't do. And I think that millennials do have this, I guess, a shift in perspective on, I want to spend not, not just where am I spending my time, but how am I spending my time? Right. Is it, is it, is it a quality investment for my, my quality of life? Seth, you, you smiled at that. Well, you're, yeah, you're, you'll get the, uh, you'll get the, the rant from me about um, our industry is absolute worst in any industry about time off for employees. So um, I, I went off on another group, another 20 group about time off in our industry and, and uh, we do a horrible job of it. Um, you know, shop owners think they give a week off, they're giving the world. Um, and then you go shop owner goes, I'm giving two weeks. I'm really good. And then there's, you know, guys like me over here attracting all the employees and going, well, we start with two weeks up front, paid vacation, and you can earn up the four weeks. Um, you know, time off for these guys is huge. And so you can earn up the four weeks vacation in my company over a time, but we give two weeks up right up front to, to most employees and our part-time employees earn time off on based on PTO and we do three sick days, but as an industry, one of the reasons we're struggling to attract millennials is time off. It's a, it's a grind. They see it as you work every day, day in, day out until you die. And maybe that's the perception that we need to start changing. Right. Yeah. I I was going to say, I I don't, obviously there's things like what you were talking about. Do do you think that that hurts productivity at all? Do you guys end up missing out on profit that way if you're giving up that much time we cover we cover the time pretty good and and we find that the way we pay our time is you know for our technicians they get paid the their average of their last three weeks so the, the two or three weeks before they go on vacation man those guys are humping because then they're going to get a higher vacation payout when they leave so i mean those guys those guys kill it before vacation so i make it up pretty easy well, interesting. That's really, that's really nice. I mean, I know that we, that how we do it here at the Institute, I don't really um, track time too much. It's more just, is, is it getting done? And is it getting done in a quality fashion? Um, our general working hours are like eight, 
or excuse me, nine to five, but often I'm here, you know, later in the day. Uh, and I stay later and, and I feel like that flexibility allows that you obviously can't do that in a shop, but, um, how do you think we can, we can get more shop owners to transition to this, this, um, type of management where we're allowing for this time off and we're allowing for these conversations and meetings to happen. They have to charge, they have to charge the right amount to begin with. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a kind of a loaded question because it goes, you know, it goes multiple ways. If you're not managing productivity and so then your techs aren't productive, like then I could see where you would say we don't have the the money to allow time off. But I mean, that seems like kind of a management problem if you're having a productivity issue. In reality, you, if you're doing your job as a business owner, right, you should be able to have productivity and have time off. I mean, you know, my best guys are with taking time off are still 115, 220% productive. And I think that that's just you, you know, your job to make sure that that happens. If they aren't, you know, if they aren't productive and they have all the tools and you're doing all the things to, to allow them to be productive, then, well, then they might not be right for your business. But um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's just sort of something that you need to do. We, I mean, we have three weeks time off. So you know, to oh, nice. me, just if if I've been listening well and I understand a lot of things you guys have said, to me it seems like it won't cost them anything to attract the younger generations. What they need to do is make sure that their culture is a place where people feel comfortable, and then they need to adopt more modern and uh, effective management styles. And once they did that, I would I have a feeling that their employees would be happier. And they would start making more money and then they could offer more time off or whatever benefits they feel like they need to. Does that sound reasonable? Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit ifrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like it's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success yeah well and i mean and i think too if you're you know if you're getting buy-in from everybody and you're you're setting goals like seth had, ta- seth had talked about earlier i mean that's a huge thing and people need to buy into the goals so when you're setting a goal account for you know how much time you want to give people off and then just you know shoot higher like aim for aim for for something higher if you're like well if your if your target's too low, then you, you're not going to have enough money to 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 cover that PTO. But I mean, if your goal is always with the mindset that you're paying for that PTO, then you know, shoot for that. <laughs> yeah. This seems this seems like a loaded question, but do you guys believe it's worth it to hire millennials? Is there yes. certain benefits to hiring a millennial that is that there a choice should be highlighted? Is there a choice? <laughs> Uh, you have to, you know, those are the people that are out there looking for jobs. Well, I mean, like I had, like I said earlier, I, I'm a millennial, so I feel like I interact well with millennials, you know, similar aged people. And I 
feel like I just naturally attract those types of people to the business because we have a younger team and 34 is the oldest person in our company. At the same time with how uh, technological cars are getting and we as a business are trying to get more technological, like removing paper and doing everything on, on iPads, digitally, digital inspections. I feel like millennials, just younger people in general, pick, pick up that technology more efficiently than people that didn't really grow up with it or or have that ability to learn it. You know, I see like my mom using an iPhone compared to me, it, she can do it. Just took her 20 years to learn. I would, I would say that generally in my experience, um, the older generation has more trouble getting into the new tech that's coming out. And the issue with that is that new tech is coming faster and faster and it's it's much more advanced as it comes out now obviously there's exceptions to the rule kurt does very well with tech in fact he's our web developer you know but uh that that to me seems to be one of the bigger issues coming up and i'm not saying don't hire because there's there's um they've got experience they've done this so you know there's a trade-off with it with hiring older or hiring younger employees uh, give and take. Uh, ne- next, I, I kind of want to move into, so, you know, obviously what is it, what is it worth it um, to hire them and how should we be, how should we be marketing? Cause now, now this really is a question of how do we attract millennials to come and work for us? What are, what are the tactics that we should be taking? What, what do you guys do that has worked for you to attract quality millennials? Not necessarily, you know, but what do you guys do? Seth? Um, well, I mean, attracting employees. Yeah. I, I mean, you run your normal ads, but I mean, a lot of the attraction is everything we talked about. It's the benefits. It's, you know, making sure they're aware of all the PTO, the 401k, the medical, the dental. These employees are starting to look at this. They've been told that medical is expensive. They're, they're almost, they're almost wanting the medical more in the boomers. Um, is what I found. They want somebody to take care of that stuff. Um, but you know, we get a lot of stuff from our Instagram stuff, our, our YouTube stuff. We share a lot of our team events, our Christmas parties coming up. We're going to share that our Christmas party. We got a murder mystery play company coming in and we rent the whole bed and breakfast out. They pay for rooms for all the employees. You know, we'll share pictures and videos of that. Um, some of you guys have seen the why work for Eurotech video. That's played all over. We push that on YouTube. We push that on Instagram. I've gotten resumes from people that just go, I, I want to work for you guys. Um, so you just have to create, you have to create a desire and you have to make sure that you push it out through the channels that they see it on. Um, I push a lot more stuff on Instagram. Facebook's kind of dead to some of the millennials. So, I mean, I push a lot of our stuff through Instagram too. Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't be on Facebook if, uh, my work didn't require it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. The world would be a better place. Um, but I, I think I think that uh, it makes a lot of sense. In one, you know, one hand, I'll still put like throw something up on Indeed or you know uh, create a formal uh, job ad. Um, but I think just the way that you kind of frame your business, the way that you market it. I mean, you, the business has to be something that's sellable. I mean, millennials are attracted to the things that are attractive, like why Apple products sell so well, even though they're more expensive. They just, they are 
presented in a way that looks really cool and it's different and unique. Well, they're, pre- they're presenting a lifestyle. They're telling some kind of a story. Um, and, and that I think we grew up with stories. We grew up with cart. Like I grew up watching cartoons and, and, and now we're into, you know, we've, we've got people who follow YouTubers on a daily. And these are just people who are talking about their lives in, you know, um, that's becoming more and more prevalent. We want to be able to relate to these people. We want to be able to relate to some story. I actually read an article the other day that talked about a lot of these artisan companies, people who are like companies that are 150 years old or, you know, 200 years old are having an issue and they're high quality brands that are having an issue trying to sell to millennials because they, they're like, well, we had an established brand. Why, why don't you trust us anymore? It's because we don't really care that you're an established brand, but, we, we want to know why we want to know why you're important. We want to hear the story, you know, um, it was a, it was a watch company. They did, they did this expose on and, uh, Oh, Hey, Bill, Bill finally. Got <laughs> finally. Um, but it was talking that we, like, we really want to know the story as to why you are in business. What originally kicked it off. We want to hear the origin, right? Bill, I don't know if you've, you've heard any of this conversation. No. So far. Um, what are your thoughts on attracting millennials? Honestly, we can get into la- into final thoughts now. But uh <laughs> oh. oh, I thought it was a sorry. <laughs> An hour late. I may have told you eleven because it's eleven my time. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> um he's California, he's kind of disadvantaged. <laughs> um I think so I let's think get into that's our workforce. That's who we're that's who we're hiring, period. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. How do we attract them? Same way that uh, you attract any good person with with a with a great place to work with uh, with um, great great opportunities come great people. I'd love to start shifting this conversation off of millennials and pretty much just how do we how do we take care of our people <laughs> and how do we do a good job with it? You know, I think a lot I, of this, like I said, be, it's, it's sorry. I think I think that's really the the important point here and, and Bill hit on it exactly is like um, my conversations with these kids over the weekend totally changed my perspective. They don't want anything different than I do or anybody else wants. They want a really good place to work. They want to feel like they're valued and they want to see that they have a future. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Well, Kelly, what do you think? Final thoughts. Um, are you trying to get me to answer the the question you were just posing or just my thoughts in general? Sure. (laughs) Either one. I mean, you know, final thoughts in general. Um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good, talented millennials out there and the word shouldn't be associated with a negative thing, um, which it has, has been a lot, you know, and I, I think that if you're having a difficult time attracting millennials, then you're just doing something wrong because you're, I feel like we've ironed this out. It's we're, we're not looking for something that's, that's just different. We're not looking for special treatment. We're just, you know, looking for a good place to work and good opportunities. And we want to, you know, we want to be valued and do something that makes a difference and be able to be in a position to grow and, not just be stuck in this never ending hole with you know no ability to move forward. 
Yeah, Kurt, I remember we were talking the other day about this, but you said something. I, I feel like millennials are sick of the titles, not into a, like a, hey, don't call us. You know, we're really not. It's more of like a, we're tired of even having a discussion. You know, I'm we, we work, we I'm work nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, it's, it's there. Millennials are, are, are the generation, what, 20 to, to what, 35, 40, 35? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're talking about? So any, anybody born eight, from 1980 to 2000, roughly. Yes. So we're talking about 20 to 30-year-olds. The, the conversation's always been the same. I don't care what generation it is, right? It's the, it's the younger generation. It's the folks that are coming into the workplace. It's the folks that we raised as parents, right? Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with your kids? How, do you, how did you raise your kids? So whatever, whatever your advantages or disadvantages are, we've created them. So figure it out. I love it. Kurt, uh, what do you think? Final thoughts? Um, uh, My final thoughts would just be sort of a a challenge to any shops, any shop owners out there. Um, If you feel like you're having a hard time recruiting younger talent, and if you feel like you're having a hard time um, keeping good talent, maybe you just need to look at your culture and ask yourself some hard questions. You know, am I creating a place where people feel good? or is my environment maybe toxic where uh, people um, are not enjoying coming to work every day? And then maybe uh, call Seth and get some management tips. Yeah, exactly. I think, honestly, a lot of his his theories and practices um, point directly to really good, efficient management that makes the employees feel like they're part of the team. Well, and something to just touch on for that, you know, about um, – the the atmosphere that you're creating if it, if it's difficult to attract millennials then the people that you have there might just be tolerating what's going on you know they might not necessarily be happy and excited about it either they're just dealing with it so you know it goes hand in hand love it Seth final thoughts final thoughts okay well my final thoughts are if you're if you're having trouble attracting them I one of the first things I would suggest strongly doing is when you lose people. Make sure you do a really thorough exit interview and really listen to what they're doing. And if you don't think you can do the exit interview, have somebody do it. But really, truly do those exit interviews and take those thoughts because you're going to see the problems. Um, something I had to do years ago to see where the problems lie of why we are losing people. And and that would be my kind of final thought is those exit interviews will show you a lot of why you're losing the people that you attracted. Wonderful. Bill, do you have anything else to add? No, no. Sorry, I missed the rest of the show. No, you're you're totally fine. Um, no, I'm I'm happy we have these these discussions. Um, I do want to say, like we at the institute, at least, we're we are really trying to shift the industry in a positive manner through through our education, through sponsoring education, through sponsoring these discussions like this to ask some of the more difficult questions. That's why we like a free form conversation more more so than something super rigid. Um, I know you guys get the list of questions and we don't even touch half of them or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but no, uh, just to say thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Um, anybody who's watching, if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, you can email us at institute at ifrave.com. Uh, again, check out some of the conferences we're putting on for 2020. They're going to be way different than anything that we've done before. And we're changing our programs. We're, we're going to be killing it in 2020. Um, just visit our website, ifrave.com. Uh, and check out the Mars conference. Thank you guys so much for being here and uh, have a good Wednesday.
Thanks. See you guys. See you. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iForAbe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.